Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Giving sorrow a time limit. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. Thanks for clicking play. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Let's talk about giving sorrow a time limit. You know, as much as I would love to be completely transparent, there's just so much about that that would be improper. So I'll just give you a broad brush of it. Now, there hasn't been a physical death. But the carnage is very deep and it's very vast and it's very personal and it's family and it's been going on for a long, long time. It's been a slide, an erosion, lots of pain, lots of suffering, lots of preoccupation with the loss, uh, but no control because we can't and nor should we control other people. Let's talk about it. Giving sorrow a time limit. Uh, Let me begin by welcoming you. I know I did, but uh, let me do it more appropriately. And thank you enormously for giving me your time and your attention. Uh, You don't have to. I get it. Today is Thursday, April the 7th, 2022. Time is just clicking right along. I hope everything is well with you. The world is in a major upheaval. Uh, There's a lot of sorrow in the world. Just about every, eh, not every week, but every month, I get news from somebody in my sphere. That is somebody that I know, friend and acquaintance. Somebody died that was close to them. Sickness, that's a pretty common thing. Financial problems, that's also pretty common. And then we've got all of the conflict all over the world, especially in Ukraine. A lot of grieving, a lot of sorrow. I thought for a long, long time about this this whole notion of giving sorrow a time limit. And it sounds like great advice. Uh, but I rounded the corner of closing out February of this year, uh, just a couple of months ago, and realized sorrow and grief have really been a preoccupation for me going on four years. And the fact is, Well, the fact is I've been grieving for many, many, um, months prior to that. Um, and I don't know when it happened. I should have made note of it, but I didn't, but there was one day I'm sitting here in the yellow studio and I kind of, I don't know. I I drew this proverbial line in the sand, at least mentally. And I did write this sentence down now tap the brakes before I I read this sentence to you in thinking that I'm going to make good on this. 
Uh, we're just, we're just mulling this over. Okay. I'm the first person to tell you, I do not have this figured out, but that's largely what the podcast is about. It's just about us individually and collectively trying to figure things out. Here's the sentence that I did write down. And this was at the end of February. April is going to be the month I fully devote to my grief. And then I'm going to emerge with a new, albeit less whole, a normal. Yeah, I didn't say the grammar was all proper. It's just something I jotted down in a notebook. I don't know why. I don't know why. And at the end of February, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to make April the month. I'm, I'm going to put, I'm going to shove everything into the middle of the, of the, of the table. And I'm going to go pot committed to April. April's going to be the month. I'm just going to kind of surrender to the grief and the sorrow. And then coming out of April, try to find a new normal. And the more I thought about it and the more I ruminated over having written that, that sentence, frankly, the more ridiculous it seemed. And also, uh, the more I realized it's, I'm probably not looking at this thing quite so accurately to begin with, because quite frankly, what I've, I've, I have found a new normal already was one of the first thoughts that I had after I went back and reviewed what I had written. You know, life happens, life gets in the way and it just seems ridiculous. The more I think about it to plan grieving, like we've got this beginning, this middle and this end, um, we do have a beginning. We absolutely have a middle and we can absolutely get stuck in the middle. And there's no doubt I have, I have felt like I've been stuck in the middle for a good long while. There's an intellectual part of us that, that understands, okay, it's really not good. It's not wise to just, to just revel in your sorrow. But I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I, I do that, there, there, but there's also little doubt that some sorrow can change you. Well, it does change you. And you can sit there and argue eight ways to Sunday and say, well, I don't want it to change me. Well, it does change you. I did a show a long, long time ago about the man who gave me scars. And I recorded that you'll find it somewhere over at leaning toward wisdom. Just do a search for that title. The man who gave me scars, or frankly, you probably just search scars and find it. This was an orthopedic surgeon who uh, was just such a terrific guy and had done a number of surgeries on elbows and I'm fond of, I'm fond of upper body injuries as they would say in the hockey world, he's suffering an upper body injury, uh, not a head injury, but like neck, neck down to shoulders or elbows. Um, Dr. Bonnet had done surgery on both elbows in fact and one is a pretty good scar the other's really small but one was a a, a pretty good significant scar he was a terrific doctor uh, he got diagnosed with terminal cancer and passed away 
far too young. And upon news of his death, I recorded that, that episode and it was not an easy episode to do. Now, this was a guy who was, he was my surgeon. I did not have a social relationship with this man, but I thought deeply about him and had tremendous admiration and respect, if not love for him as a physician, he had provided me a ton of help and relief. And I remember recording that show and thinking about the scars and the value that scars have for us, not just in serving as a memento of something that we have endured and survived, but the benefits attached. The scars that Dr. Bonnet gave me were scars that were necessary. Well, I, I did a show some months ago and asked the question, are, are, we, are we helpful or are we harmful? Are we helping or are we harming? And I really do get up in the morning and ask myself that question and wonder aloud with the people that I'm going to interact with today, I, I, I want to make sure I'm being helpful. I want to make sure that I'm not an impediment. I want life's hard enough. I mean, the last thing people need is somebody else piling on to make their life heavier and harder. My personal hope and goal and drive is to lighten that some way, somehow, and life gets in the way. And as I think about planning grief and all that, it just seems so that just seems ridiculous. But at the same time, intellectually, I understand that like those scars, they need time to heal, but we want them to heal. The wounds that Dr. Bonnet inflicted on me when he performed surgery were necessary. Otherwise, I was not going to be relieved of whatever the malady was. But great care was taken to suture those and to make sure they remained with free of infection and to make sure that those wounds would heal properly. Yes, they leave a scar. Much, much worse if they get infected. That scar is much, much worse. Oh, and by the way, there's a risk for all kinds of other problems that, that we don't want to create. How long does it take? Well, surgeons like Dr. Bonnet had done enough surgeries of these kind to know it roughly takes this much time. When you think about grieving, it is so individual there, you can't plan it. You know, Dr. Bonnet could come to me and he could say, you know, over the next so many weeks, take it easy and do this. And then, uh, about week six, you can do this and you can do, what is all that based on? Well, it's based on experience. It is based on all the countless surgeries that have been done. And here's what that healing process typically, that's a huge word typically look like. Was I typical? I don't remember. Probably. Now, if something is atypical, well, you don't want to go too far outside that boundary. You know, if everything should be reasonably back to normal within eight weeks and you're approaching week 12 and you're no closer, well, we need to investigate. You can't do that with grief. You just can't do that with grief. 
number one, there's too many types of grief. There's too many different types of people. The impact that one kind of grief might have on me may not impact you the same way. And yet some other kind of grief might completely lay you low. And I might, I might have pretty decent resolve with whatever that is that lays you low. So it is so individual. It is so not one size fits all. And I kept thinking about this and I kept thinking about roughly this four year period. And that's really unfair because you've really kind of got to go back two or three years before that. I'm reminded of the Matt Carney line. I use it here way too frequently. Uh, when he first heard, he's a singer songwriter out of Nashville now by way of Oregon. But he reported when he first heard a song of his on the radio, he described it as it felt like emerging from a, a seven year knife fight. You know, cause he'd been slogging away and slogging away and slogging away. And all of a sudden he's on the radio and kind of is beginning to make a name for himself at that point. That was some years ago, a seven year knife fight. And I kept thinking about that. And I've done a number of shows with that kind of a theme. I even did a video. I remember, I remember standing in our kitchen doing it. I don't remember. It probably was terrible, but you can probably find it over at my YouTube channel. If you care, I'm not hawking it cause I don't, I don't remember. And it probably wasn't very good, but the thing that stuck out to me with that line, a seven year knife fight is you can't engage in a knife fight without getting blood on you, your own or your opponent. And for me, sorrow is the same kind of a thing. If you're going to engage in a battle with sorrow and we all do, you're going to get bloody. And with sorrow, the blood is going to be our own. No, not physically, but it it's, it's going to be our blood. I look back over the last four to seven years, my seven-year knife fight, let's call it, and realize that there's, you know, there's some things that I absolutely could have done better. There's some things that maybe I, I should have done different. But the more I review it, and believe me, I have spent hours upon hours upon hours upon hours reviewing it, there's just, there's not much, if anything, that I would have done differently because in order to have done anything differently, I would have had to be really imposing. I would have had to have really overstepped my bounds. And I don't think that would have been profitable. Now it turns out nothing else was profitable either. Throwing lifelines out, asking questions, soliciting, uh, an opportunity to help and to serve and to try to make things better and to try to help somebody figure, figure out whatever demons were overtaking them and those invitation, those invitations never being extended, those opportunities never being taken up. What are you going to do with that? And so very, very early on, I began to think about the creation scene and it dawned on me six, five or six years ago before things really came crashing down. 
it dawned on me that in the garden, God, people, people have long thought from a theological perspective, why that tree, why did God put that one tree and, and then forbid man to, to have it? Why didn't God just not put that tree there? That would have eliminated the whole problem seems to us. Here's what I've concluded and I could be wrong. But had God not put the tree and then forbidden man to eat of that tree, man would have been left without a choice. I mean, everything would have just been prescribed. Now, everything was prescribed for his good anyway. But with the advent of the tree, the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, if you please, now mankind had a choice. God wanted man to choose him, choose all this. That's great. All this. That's wonderful. All this that I, I, I'm, I desperately want to provide for you, but God in his infinite wisdom did not want to make man's decision for him. And I kept thinking about this and thinking about this. And I've, of course, I've spent hours and hours thinking about this ever since. If you could impose, if you could manipulate, if you could, um, if you could tyrannically impose your will on somebody, even if you could successfully do that, should you? And the resounding answer I get is no, no. Now, come on, there's little doubt as parents, when our kids are small, we are the wisdom for our kids, right? We have to be. Uh, It's our job to train them, to instruct them. And those of us that take that responsibility as we should, we do that. Are we perfect? No. But we do it. We do it to the best of our ability. And as they say, the proof is in the pudding. So you do that, and your kids leave home. They get successfully educated. They marry. They have children. And now you fast forward a decade, a decade and a half, and something happens. They make another choice. It's not a choice you agree with, but they make a choice. And you do whatever you can to try to help them navigate away from foolishness and lean toward wisdom. But like God in the garden, we choose. We choose. And sometimes we don't choose wisely. Sometimes we choose a path that is a destructive path. Sometimes we choose a path that is filled with all kinds of damaging impact on other people. And what are you going to do about that? Well, if, if you're like me, you're, you're going to do everything in your power up to and including trying to be as persuasive as you can and trying to talk and listen and facilitate and serve and and it doesn't always work out why because it's not your choice it's their choice and then the sorrow hits well there's been sorrow all along the way but then the real sorrow hits the real sorrow hits when the realization is it's over i think about god and i think about the garden and i think about that day when God expelled man out of the garden, and he did that because he had already forewarned, he had already told man, here's what's going to happen. 
So let me give you compelling reasons. Let me give you a lot of evidence for why you should avoid this one tree. Everything else is yours. The rest of this utopia, it's yours. I want you to be stewards over it. Just stay clear of that one. Man didn't make that choice. So together with woman, they both made a really bad decision. And now God being God, righteous, true to his word, not a, not a God who makes empty promises, a God who makes promises. And unlike you and me, he keeps them. He keeps them and he kept them. And I think about what was God feeling in that moment, the day that man is expelled from this place that God had taken great pains to create this Eden. I mean, we equate today a utopian kind of a, of a place with Eden. When we think of Eden, we think of that. We don't think of some cursed place. We think of a great place. It's a garden of Eden when we see some beautiful place and people can think, well, we, God just can't wait to condemn people. There's nothing in scripture that proves that quite the opposite seems to be. So I think about God's sorrow, man and woman, they're out of the garden. There's now creatures to guard the garden. So man can't get back in nothing. Absolutely nothing shows that God was any kind of gleeful state over this. This was not at all what he wanted. He wanted man and woman to make a wise decision. He wanted them to endure his blessings continually, but he wanted them to do that willingly. He did not want them to do that by constraint. So he gave them a choice and they did not choose wisely. God's God. And I certainly am not. I don't know how long God sorrowed. I would suspect, knowing what I know of God through the scripture, I would suspect God is still sorrowing. So there's that. Some grief, I don't suppose, is worthy of a time limit. Doesn't mean that we ought to be paralyzed by it, mind you. So I started thinking about this. April is going to be the month I'm going to fully devote to my grief, and then I'm going to emerge with a new, albeit less whole, normal. That does make grammatical sense. It's not a great sentence, but come on. It's what I wrote in a notebook. And like you, life got in the way. Um, Even planned grieving gets disrupted. And I really didn't, I didn't, well, I haven't followed through up to this point. I'm not going to say that as we enter, here we are in the first month of April. I'm not going to tell you that. I have prepared to make April everything that I wrote in that note. In fact, I'm more convinced that while the note expresses a great desire that I have, it also, I think, expresses just a complete, a complete act of futility. You know, I mean, to, to put, to put that kind of a fine point on giving sorrow a time limit likely is going to extend it because now you've got this right. You're putting so much pressure on this month of April 
So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm magically the calendar is going to change. And, and so, so what has changed here and how do you change a heart? I mean, how, how do you, how do you change not caring? How do you change not loving? How do you change? I know time heals all wounds. So they say it doesn't heal all wounds. It does make some wounds more palatable than others. I've still got the scars that Dr. Bonnet gave me. He's been dead for a number of years now, but my scars are still here. My scars will be here. They'll, they'll live as long as I do. I'm thankful for them. They benefited me and I'm, I'm humble enough to tell you that this sorrow, this sorrow that I have endured, it, it, it's, it's come at a very high price, but it has benefited me. I don't love that. I'd like to tell you that it hasn't, uh, but it has because it has changed me. Am I better for it? That I can promise you I have worked at. I have absolutely leaned hard into trying to make my sorrow serve me, not in a self-centered way, but to make me better to make me recognize what may be more important and to just somehow push forward and to figure out how can I be a better person? So here we are six or seven days into the month. I don't know how it's going to go. I can't tell you. I'd love to tell you it's going to go swimmingly. It's just going to go swimmingly. But sorrow and grief are very odd things. They impact us in unique ways and processing emotions is just not something that you can generalize. It certainly isn't something I don't think that you can put a timetable on. If you can, I've not yet figured that out. And it, you know, it's kind of like subject matter for, for this show. Uh, things come to me as they come to me based largely on what's going on in life. Some of which I have some control over some of which I have no control over some of which I have some control over. And I think sorrow works in, in very similar fashion. Some heartbreak, you just don't get over. You just don't get over. You've seen it. I've seen it. Maybe you've experienced it. It's just, it's like the scar on my left elbow here, which is a six or seven inch scar. It's just there. It's always there. It doesn't hurt like it once did. Like all scars, it can be kind of tender. Every once in a while, I may hit it and be reminded Yep. It's still there. It's not like it once was, you know, it's not as raw. It's not as painful as it once was. And I, I, for me, at least with this sorrow is, is, is kind of a similar thing because for me, it's looking around and trying to figure out, can I be helpful? Can I, am I going to be harmful? And it, it pretty much appears to me, and I could be wrong, but it appears to me that if I give myself completely over to sorrow, then I'm going to negate any ability I may have to be helpful. And I may amplify my ability to be harmful. It's just how it goes. You've seen it. Now, thankfully, I'm a person who's not prone to bitterness. I am a person who, uh, the VIA survey... I may put a link to this in the show notes. The VIA survey is one of these rare kinds of assessments that, that judges 
and tries to assess character. You know, most everything else is going after skills or proclivities or default behaviors. Now, this is character. This is character. What are the character traits that you most employ in your life? And I've taken this thing and taken this thing and taken this thing. And the number one, always the number one is forgiveness. Now, I, I, this isn't something that I'm sitting around consciously doing. It's just, I, I've said it repeatedly on this show because this comes up pretty frequently in people's lives, forgiveness. How, how can I forgive? Uh, I had this happen to me. I had that happen to me. I, I need help in, in trying to forgive and I'm the person who's probably the least qualified, uh, to give any counsel because my short answer is just do it. Uh, my mind just goes there. My mind just goes to that place of why, why, why not? I, I just, there's no downside to it. I, I would rather just go ahead and extend grace and move on and, let it go. But I know a lot of people don't do that. I know a lot of people, bitterness is a thing and it can absolutely eat you alive. And thankfully I'm not given to that. I got a boatload of other problems. Don't get me wrong, but thankfully that ain't one of them. If I had to add that on top of the ones I got, well, there'd just be no living with me. And there may not be any living with me now. You'd have to ask my wife, but We've got to have time to process. We've got to have time to come to grips with some things. And uh, I can be, it's super easy for me. I learned a long, long time ago that your strength can become your weakness. In fact, not only can it, it does. And so for me, forgiveness works that way. Super, super easy for me to forgive people. It's just, it's not difficult at all. Okay. Now look in the mirror and try to forgive that, that person. Super hard, super duper hard. Uh, so there is that. What do you do with your sorrow? Faith is a big deal, so there's little doubt that I try to lay as much of that uh, in faith as I possibly can. I'm not real good at that either, by the way. I'd love to tell you that as a Christian, you know, I, I'll just I'll lay it at the feet of the Lord and. It's not difficult. This is going to sound hypocritical, and it probably is, to be honest with you. It doesn't feel difficult to lay it at the Lord, at his feet, but it's, but it's incredibly difficult to do it. It's, it's hard to explain. Praying to the Lord and leaning into the Lord is not difficult. Um, it could be argued that maybe trusting is. I don't want to admit that, and I don't want to feel that way. Um, and it certainly isn't a matter of, well, I feel like I'm powerful. No, it's rather the opposite. It's rather the, the acknowledgement that you you aren't in control and you don't have the power over this. You, you, you need help with this. And the help that you need is divine help. Not miraculous help, but providential help and any other help that heaven can provide. And I have all the confidence in the world based on the evidence, because come on, the, the evidence is empirical. God is doing and has done everything possible to save us. 
in eternity to save us. God is doing and has done everything possible. And I have confidence will continue to do everything possible up to and including giving his only son to die for our sins. God is absolutely doing his part to get us to heaven. However, he lets us choose and it's living with those choices that can be really difficult, especially when they aren't your own, but maybe even more so when they are. So when we choose to surrender to sorrow, when we choose to just get in a funk and woe is me, I'm going to go eat worms and, and we're, we're just going to be filled with self-loathing. What good are we? And I continue to think about my life and your life and everybody's life as these resources. How, how, what are we doing with these resources? We are an asset or we are a liability and we get to decide. I really, really want to decide. I really have decided. I want to be an asset. That decision is not hard. Figuring out the best way to do that when sorrow is weighing upon you is crazy hard. Well, the good news is I'm kind of on a roll. I've been rather consistent on Thursdays for the past number of weeks. So that's helping. I can tell you, I've told people this before about this particular podcast. One of the big, big things for me about this podcast is the cathartic nature of it. It didn't start out that way, but I can tell you that Almost, almost at the beginning, it became that for me. Do you talk to yourself? I have freely admitted that I do, and I always have. Largely in the car, because that's mostly when you're alone, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's any sign of craziness about it. It's just sometimes we need to articulate things. And some of the things that I want to articulate, I don't necessarily want to articulate for the benefit of anybody else because I'm, well, I'm talking to myself. This podcast is one of the exceptions to that. Because I learned this very, very early on. Some of the initial feedback I got from complete strangers In fact, one of the first pieces of feedback that I got was from overseas. And I remember being so stunned that somebody in, where was it? I want to say it was the Netherlands. I'm pretty sure it was. It was the Netherlands. I remember being so stunned that somebody in the Netherlands, how in the world does somebody in the Netherlands even find, find this? Um, But they did. And I got this long email from this fellow and he included some pictures and I just remember thinking, okay, I kind of get it. You know, intellectually, I think I understood, I think I understood it before, but with that, I really understood that when we share 
it's great and wonderful to share how successful and how great and how grand everything is but you know when we listen my metaphor for it pardon it's crude but my metaphor for it is you know when we show our underwear it's amazing how people respond because like the kid in class who has the bravery to ask the question that nobody else does we're all thankful that that kid raised his hand and asked because you know what we had that question too and so it goes The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. Thank you again for clicking play. I appreciate you subscribing. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.